Today on Growing Through Grace. People do in mobs what they'll never do on their own because they don't feel any liability. So this is a riot behavior, a, a mob mentality. So maybe it's a little shocking when you read, and Paul wanted to go into the people. I like Paul. He's just going to take them all up. Listening to Growing Through Grace with Pastor Jacob Elam of Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. What is the answer to the evil and darkness around us? Jesus. How do we change the society we live in? Jesus. Well, that's the message Pastor Jack is bringing us from Acts chapter 19, verse 21 through 41. Our teacher is discussing the reaction that the city of Ephesus had to the message of Jesus that Paul was bringing to its citizens. It'll be interesting to see just how this all turns out. So let's listen in to the conclusion of this message. Here's Pastor Jack. They were filled with wrath. They began to say loudly, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And so the whole city was was filled with confusion. And they ran into the theater with one accord, and they grabbed a guy named Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's traveling companion. Chanting jewelers hit the streets. Some joined by others caught up in the commotion. I don't know if you've ever been to a protest. But if there's a group of 500 protesters, I guarantee you 450 of them don't know why they're there. (laughs) Someone's organized and everyone kind of shows. It's just the way mass mobs work. So everyone's up in arms. They're chanting. (laughs) It's the thing. If you're going to protest, you've got to chant. So they're chanting. And now they grab a couple of guys that they identified as being with Paul. Don't know much about these folks, so we do know a little bit about them. But, but the, you know, Gaius was saved in Corinth. He was the head of the synagogue there, you might remember, until he met Christ. But anyway, these two guys, Aristarchus and Gaius, they were with Paul. They had come from Macedonia across the Aegean Sea on the other side of the pond, so to speak. And they had been traveling with Paul. Well, they were grabbed and, and I love the fact that just in these chapters, and, and Luke, Luke, he doesn't spend a lot of time on one thing. I mean, months pass, but he gives us little information. It seems like a lot of people were traveling with Paul. He left Luke in Philippi. He had Barnabas and John Mark out in ministry. He sent Timothy and Aristarchus or Erastus ahead of him. There were two guys here that were grabbed. In the next few verses, we'll, we'll read about countless other disciples and all. Paul knew a lot of people, and and, and seemed to pour his life into a lot of them as well, served with many. Notice the word theater here. And they went to the theater. There is a huge area at the Mount of Mount Pion, as it is called, that is about 500 feet in diameter, and it can seat today in the ruins that are encumbered 25,000 people. It's a huge place. It is, it is larger than Stable Center. It is larger than the Honda Center. That's a lot of folks to put outside. And that was a place built there where in the years that would follow, many Christians would be thrown to the lions. It is remarkably preserved. If you go to the 
on a tour of the, of the churches of the book of Revelation, you will be absolutely disappointed with six of the seven places. There, there's very little ruins left. You, you'll see greater ruins in Jerusalem or in the Galilee. But you go to Ephesus, there's nothing like it in the world. Unbelievable. Uh, standing the streets, the, the, the marketplaces, amazing. Amazing place. And this theater is standing there as well. It just, it couldn't be. So we know that Paul and at least the, the, the chanters gathered inside this theater. We took our group there last year in Turkey. If, we, if the Lord allows us to go back, we'll, we'll take you there if you want to go. Um, but, but mob psychology is a pretty dangerous thing. When people start chanting and, you know, and, and getting... I don't know if you've watched some of the videos coming out of Portland this last week and the fights in the streets. It doesn't take much to get knocked out if you just don't have you know, eyes in the back of your head. Um, people do in mobs what they'll never do on their own because they don't feel any liability. We're all just, I was there, I didn't really do anything. And they're always egged on by others. So this is a riot behavior, a, a mob mentality. Notice verse 29, it says, the whole city was filled with confusion. So... Maybe it's a little shocking in, in verse 30 when you read, and Paul wanted to go into the people. I like Paul. He's just going to take them all on. But the disciples wouldn't allow him. And then some of the officials out of Asia, who were his friends, powerful men, pleaded with him that he wouldn't try to venture into the theater. Paul has a natural courage that I just, it frightened me and excites me all at the same time. I can relate to, relate to him not being sensible when it comes to things he's passionate about. On the other hand, this is a crazy idea. But he's a loyal friend. If you have a friend in Paul, you need never worry. <laughs> He'd make a great friend. He would risk everything for your benefit. So Paul needs the church leaders as well as the political leaders to like, don't do it, man. This is, not, this is not the way it's going to go. And they had to restrain him and some wealthy rulers who, who knew Paul you know, finally convinced him to not go in there. It, it's interesting to me that the fanaticism in the streets and the wealthy homes of the financially you know, aristocrats, the gospel reached both, right? The, the common folks from the street and then the rich aristocrats, the rulers in town, they all came together uh, having a bond in Christ, if you will. It always works that way. The, the gospel works for everyone the same. We read in verse 32 that some therefore cried one thing, some cried another thing. The assembly was confused. Most of them didn't know why they were there. Perfectly definition of a mob. You know, no longer chanting together. Now they're yelling. Their emotions are growing. People are hanging around. They're looking for trouble. It just... It's a dangerous place to be, and I would tell you if you're ever around, just, we were in Paris, my wife and I were in Paris by ourselves one day, walking down the street, and we saw these marchers and this tear gas coming our way, and we were stuck. And the, and the, and the, the, the little storefront was closed, and we like backed up and just watched it all go by and quickly left. I mean, there's no way to, to feel comfortable when a, people are just looney tunes, you know, all of them together. But Paul wants to go in and fight. Well, here, here's the situation. They're nuts. Everybody's screaming one thing. Somebody's screaming another. Here's what Paul gets into when he's, uh, you know, he's been ministering the gospel. Verse 33. And they drew Alexander out of the multitudes, the Jews putting him forward. 
And Alexander motioned with his hands, wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they figured out that he was a Jew, all of them with one voice started to chant for the next two hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Imagine how many times they said that in two hours. Alexander. Alexander was not a nice man. I, I say that because I've read the rest of the Bible. Uh, years later, when Paul was in jail in Rome, waiting to be executed by Nero, he wrote his last letter to Timothy, 2 uh, Timothy chapter 2. And, and Timothy was warned by Paul uh, of the difficulties that, that this fellow uh, had put upon Pilate in his ministry. Second Corinthians, I said 2 Timothy 2. I think it's 2 Timothy chapter 4. You can check it later. Uh, but, but that's when Paul, uh, Timothy was pastoring this church now that Paul had been arrested. At one time, it seems like 1 Corinthians chapter, nope, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm doing a lot of verses. I'm sorry. I hope you're writing them down because I'm forgetting them as I go. 1 uh, Timothy chapter 1. He, he, he seemed to be a guy that, that at least professed faith in Christ. That this Alexander guy started off kind of hanging out the church. But he certainly went otherwise. In, in any regard, this guy was a wise foe of the gospel, Paul said to Timothy, I've suffered greatly at his hands. Uh, he tried to quiet the crowd, but being a Jew in a mostly Greek place again, uh, the mob united in cheering against him. Imagine a group of people standing together, even sitting down in this amphitheater, um, or theater, because it's not an amphitheater, it's not on one side, it's both sides, um, for two hours. I, I was looking through the the internet, and I actually went to look for, were there ever places that people just stand and chanted for two hours? So I, I ran into a story for, from 1960, 1961, when the Houston Oilers, you remember those guys? They are today the Tennessee Titans, but they were the Houston Oilers in the 60s. They were the AFC football champs when George Blanda, maybe those of you that are older remember, was their quarterback as well as their kicker. In the year 1960-61, when they won the AFC, 75 people, 75 people, that's not very much of a crowd, 75,000 people showed up at the Astrodome in, in Houston not to watch a game, because there was no game, to, a, to chant for two hours, we love you, Big Blue. Two hours. Now, these are football fans. I'm not a baseball fan, but I love the last couple of Dodger games. I stayed up late last night, and they won again today, so go Dodgers. Yeah. But that won't get you to heaven either. <laughs> but I love the enthusiasm. People get excited, right? I, I think baseball's boring. But I'm the playoffs. That's a lot of fun. That's why I go to hockey. That can't ever be boring. <laughs> but I thought about these, this stadium with 75,000 people chanting for two hours, we love you, Big Blue. Really? I would give everything I own to find the church willing to do that with Christ. To find that kind of excitement and enthusiasm for, 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 for Jesus, the one who bled on a cross so that we might live forever, our only hope. The problem is, as you get older, cynicism kicks in. And, and cynicism is a gift that grows with age. You just get disappointed so often that you just become a cynic. I think I have to fight cynicism now. But I would love to think that the church would want to show up and just cheer Jesus' name. They'll do it for football. They did it for a metal statue that couldn't save herself. We need some excitement, guys, <laughs> for the Lord who loves us.
Verse 35 tells that finally the city clerk was able to quiet the crowd. He said, now, men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that this is the, the city of the Ephesians and it's the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? The city clerk would have been an important man. He would have been responsible for keeping the financial and taxation records of the cities. He would be the official, official liaison between Ephesus and the Roman provincial authorities. He would have been a smart guy, a political guy. And apparently he, could, he was influential enough to shut up a big crowd. Hey, knock it off. And he makes uh, you know, several salient, I guess, arguments for a big, crazy, crazy bunch of people, a crowd. He starts off by complimenting their, their, their goddess. Who doesn't know that we're the guardian seating of this great goddess and the image of her that fell from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, really, you ought to be quiet and don't do anything rashly. So he starts by giving lip service to this goddess. And by, by the way, they believed, and you can see it in the, in the museum there as well, that this black stone that fell from Jupiter, it was very grotesque looking. They said, this is Diana. This is her. She fell down from Zeus. We all know that's our goddess. We're here to protect this ugly looking stone. Stay back. It's the stone. It's ours. Everyone knows that. I can't deny that. Okay. Not as smart as I thought you were. But look, if we know that, we shouldn't be acting the way that we have. Verse 37, you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls, let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any inquiry to make, it should be determined in the lawful assembly. Back down to earth, he deals with Demetrius. He gives him a cold stare, I suspect. He looks at these two disciples that had done nothing wrong, had said nothing amiss regarding Diana. And maybe that's the lesson that we can drive home before we quit tonight. And that is this. You can minister Jesus without offending local false religions, you know, people who are, are wayward in their understanding or folks that are just absolutely nuts. They're worshiping these, these, these images. But somehow, of them, these two that were with Paul, the, the politician says, they haven't offended anyone. They haven't blasphemed our goddess. Well, I, I think the contemporary Christian might very well have been preaching against Diana for a long time, and he'd have been in, guilty of that. But, but here's guys with Paul, almost their two and a half years, and they were able to say, Paul, he hasn't offended us in terms of going after our gods. He might have offended you in terms of preaching his God, but nothing else. He preached for Christ, not against something. And I think if we'll do that, we'll get a lot further along with accomplishing God's will than we ever will trying to find our, the pet sin we want to preach against. Oh, I'm against that. Well, I'm against that. Well, this really rubs me the wrong way. Great. Preach Christ. It's our calling and our pleasure to be able to do that. He preached Christ, people were saved. He preached Jesus and wicked books were burned. He preached Christ and, and, and they began to discard these, these lifeless idols. If you preach Jesus, people's lives can be cleaned up. 
I would say, I'd go this far. I'd say Paul preached a positive message most of the time. He, he really just brought the message of life, forgiveness, mercy. God help us to focus on that rather than preaching against something else. Because I'll tell you what, whatever you're preaching against, that isn't the truth that sets men free. Jesus dying and resurrection, that sets men free. And whatever you're preaching against, that's a poor substitute for the good news of Christ. You're, 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 you're laying your hand on something that's weak when you could be laying your hand on the Lord who is strong. So he turns to these rebels and he, he says to them, if you got a beef, go to court. Go present your case. If you think that from a financial standpoint, I think he knew what they were up to. If you're suffering loss, then let's deal with it legally and honestly and, and in a way that isn't this riotous approach. In fact, he ended by saying in verse 40, we are in danger of being called into question for today's uproar. There being no reason which we might give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he told them to go home. He dismissed the assembly and, and the people went home. They took off. God here, I think, interviews for Paul and the boys, and the result was no reprisals. Um, you know, Erastus was gone. Timothy was gone. But there were still an awful lot of people there that could have gotten in trouble. So with that behind him, Paul is ready to leave Ephesus and head out to, on your map, Macedonia and Akkadi. Three year, two years in, in Corinth, three more years here. These two towns literally consumed five years of Paul's 15 years of ministry, let's say, on the road. I mean, they were the, the linchpins of, 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 of reaching out to, 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 you know, to Europe and to Asia, if you will. Um, and, and might be the best overview for evangelism and the church growth that God desires. In both Corinth and in Ephesus, Paul went to the synagogue first where people had a, a biblical background. When that didn't work, he moved from the establishment to a private place, to a home in Corinth, to a lecture hall in Ephesus. In both places, in both cities, Paul met often with the church. You know, it, it, there, there are a lot of people, even in our church, who believe that going to church for a half an hour on Sunday constitutes growth. It won't. I don't think it will. I, I think that the more you spend time with the Lord, the better you'll be in the Lord. But needless to say, Paul, Paul met with everybody on a regular basis in both cities for years. Turned out a lot of pastors and, and leaders and servants. He, look, Luke, I should say Luke. Luke uses two words to describe this chapter in, in Paul's ministry. In verse 8, he said, Paul was there reasoning. The word reasoning is the word dialogue, or just literally answering questions. And in verse 26 of this chapter, we read the word persuading, which is a word that, that means to, to argue for the sake of convincing someone of your position. So you answer the questions, and then you present arguments that will get people off of their hesitancy to come to the Lord. Paul wasn't afraid to just go, well, how would you believe that? Why? Well, let's go with over it again. He reasoned, he persuaded. It was, it was serious, he believed it wholeheartedly, he wasn't afraid to entertain questions or the doubts of others. He didn't demand that people just believe, 
but he persuaded them with the scriptures. Come on, just believe it, man. Well, why? I don't know. Just believe it. Not really very helpful. Paul did his part. He writes to Timothy, be diligent to show yourself as a workman approved to God, not ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. Peter writes to the scattered saints, be ready to sanctify the Lord in your heart and have an answer to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the hope that lies within you. I mean, we have a responsibility to be able to reason and to persuade. If you can't do that, go to work on that. I was a young pastor, not even a young pastor, a young Christian, and I, I took this I, idea of witnessing to people seriously. I, I practice on my refrigerator. I'd sit in front of my and, and imagine questions and then try to answer them. I had little notes on my Bible where I had number one, and then under it would say, go to page 46, and that's where number two versions would be. I had like cheat notes in my Bible, so you, you probably thought I was really smart. Well, and, and then in other words, and, and then it says in the book of Mark, like, I didn't know, I, I marked it down. But I, it convinced me. I think you've got to work on it. Work on it. Have an answer for the hope that lies with you, in you. And, and, and Paul did. Those who got saved in this time of revival were saved because they had a good knowledge of the scriptures. They had evidence to see it in the lives of others. In three years here in Ephesus, all of Asia had heard, and the economy and the direction of the culture had changed simply because people became, or came to know the Lord, I should say, personally. In five years, two churches, amazing. But the growth was slow. It was a grind. It was teaching and studying and believing and praying. The flock was established upon the word of God. And we need to do that too. It's not going to be easy, but it's the way God works. It's written in the narrative of the early church that God wants us to know. Paul's had a wonderful example for ministry for all of us. What's not mentioned at all here, and if you just read here you might miss it, was the climate in which this work went forth. And you will discover that, for example, especially in the Corinthians letters, Paul went out of his way to kind of define what he was up against. You know, he, he said, uh, I have fought with the beasts in Ephesus, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. I have fought with the beasts in Ephesus. That, that's what, what, his viewpoint. And what advantage is that to me if the dead don't rise? I, I put my life on the line. But if the gospel that I'm preaching is not true and Jesus didn't rise, then, then we're of all men most miserable. And we should just eat, drink, and be married. Tomorrow we're going to die. But he said, I fought with the beasts here. That, that's his opinion to the Corinthians of what was going on here. He wrote in 2 Corinthians to them, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble that have come to us in Asia, how that we were burdened beyond our measure and beyond our strength, and there were times we despaired even of our life. This wasn't a cakewalk. It reads so pretty. Oh, three years, everything went good until the riot. Not, not the way Paul saw it at all. God help us to be as diligent for his glory in our ministries, even under less than ideal circumstances. Because Paul was in a place of not ideal circumstances at all. It, it was a grind. It was hard. He, he was rejected, and so will we be. But the fields are white, and the best way to reach the world is to teach the Bible, have answers for our faith, share it boldly, rely on the scriptures, look for the Holy Spirit to convict, and then be available. The power of the gospel should be a great encouragement to all of us, and may the Lord use us to share it with the world around us. We've been listening to a study taken from Acts chapter 19, verses 21 through 41. 
Uh, this has been the second half and conclusion of a two-part study taught by Pastor Jacob Nealon. If you'd like to get the entire message, we do have that available for you. All you need to do to order, simply contact us and ask for study number 3075. And when you get a hold of us, be sure to mention the call letters of the radio station that you're listening to. And as we're studying the beginning of the church, how about going all the way back to the beginning of creation? It's always good to see the foundations of our faith in the very first book of the Bible. And here in the month of February, we'd like to offer to you Pastor Jack's teachings through the book of Genesis in the MP3 format on either a single CD or a USB flash drive. Pastor Jack takes us to the account of creation, the flood, and the beginning of God's covenant relationship with man through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if you'd like to get Pastor Jack's studies through Genesis in the MP3 format, either on a single CD or a USB flash drive, or to get today's study, just dial our toll-free phone number at 866-88-GRACE. That's 866-884-7223. Again, that's 866-884-7223. You can also order by mail. Just address your letter to Growing Through Grace, P.O. Box 1954, Whittier, California, 90609. And as always, we have this resource and all of our others available online at growingthroughgrace.com. That's growingthroughgrace.com. That will bring things to a close for us today. We do appreciate you tuning in. So until next time, as you daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, may you continue to grow in His grace. Growing Through Grace is a listener-supported ministry brought to you by Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California, a Calvary Chapel outreach.